We're past the point, Bill, where it's left versus right, in my opinion. When you talk about the cultural civil war, we're talking about crazy versus sane. Hey, well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the news of the day, thoughtful conversation about things that matter, so we hope. John Hinderocker will join us today. He's one of your favorites. He's one of the founders of Powerline and the president of the Center of the American Experiment. But first, a few things I'd like to discuss, mainly one thing and one human being, this fabulous young lady, Tamira Mensah-Stock. Uh-huh. She won gold at the Tokyo Olympics for wrestling. Extraordinary young woman. We have some audio of her. And I know you probably heard this, but you can't hear this too many times. It's just fabulous. Did you think you would ever win an Olympic gold medal? Yes. 100% yes. I knew I could do it. I knew it would be hard. I prayed that I could do it. In my wildest of dreams, I knew. It is not just that you won. You were dominant. I mean, you won these matches convincingly. <laughs> Did you surprise yourself at all? I, of course I surprised myself. Just by the grace of God, I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm, I'm excited to see what what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it. And I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, <laughs> it's hard to improve on that. Um, <laughs> right. That's a, that's a normal American girl, but she loves her country. Sure. Didn't have to say but. And she mm-hmm. loves her country. Right. And she prays. And she talks about her coaches as the freaking coaches who put her through <laughs> hell. I can't improve on her, but others have. Let me ask you to read this column. Joe Kinsey, go ahead and read this thing. It's really remarkable. Absolutely. Outpost. It says, a reporter asked U.S. wrestler uh, Tamira Mensah-Stock a simple question after she won the gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics final over uh, the Nigeria wrestler. Uh, how does it feel to represent your country like this? Uh, she responds, I love representing the U.S. I freaking love it there, as we just heard in the clip. The Olympic gold medalist said before pumping her fist, smiling and pulling the stars and stripes over a tighter to her body. Vincent Stock, who began wrestling in the 10th grade in Katy, Texas, after being prodded by her sister, said that she didn't have role models to look up to early in her career, but she always had her sister to fall back on. And here's a quote. When I first started wrestling, I wanted to be a light to young, younger women uh, and show them that you can be silly and have fun and you can be strong. Mensa Stock told the USA Today, you can be tough, you can be a wrestler, and you don't have to be like this. And then she growls, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be mean to you. Uh, Mensa Stock, an unknown, uh, unknown to Main Street USA before today's interview, is easily the most likable athlete representing America at the Games. Her smile, love of country, and positive nature have captured the attention of citizens who've been beaten over the head by social justice warriors who sucked the fun out of sports in the last several years. Asked what she plans to do with the money that comes with winning a gold medal. Mensa Stock uh, knew exactly what she wanted to do with the cash. I want to give my mom $30,000 so she can get a food truck because it's her dream, she said. And I told her five years ago, all right, mommy, I'll get you your food truck, but you got to be responsible. So my mom... Ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, read that again. Read that whole thing about beginning with the food truck, but... Yeah, I want to give my mom a thirty. I want to give my mom thirty thousand dollars so she can get a food truck because it's her dream. She said, 
And I told her five years ago, all right, mommy, I'll get you your food truck, but you got to be responsible. Uh, uh, so my mom's getting her food truck. She's going to have uh, her little cooking business. She can cook really, really well barbecue. Uh, and there you have it. The best story from Tokyo. Now we'll see if the athletes who hate this country agree. Oh, that's fabulous. How about this gift to her mother? Which her mother's got to be responsible. She cooks barbecue. <laughs> Somebody made a great comment, Claude, about um, the food truck. So someone said she should have on the side of the truck gold medal barbecue. Yeah, yeah. How about that? So what does this story say to you? As great as she is, it speaks louder to me about, I think, what we need in this country, right? I mean, to have someone who unapologetically, without um, any sort of pretense, without any kind of clarification, you know, because it, it, it's easy now, and I've seen this a lot, to say, you know, uh, you know, with all of our flaws, America's a great country. Now, here's someone just say, it's a great country, I love being there, without having to preface it with anything was great. And I think it, I think it, it shows, um, you know, just, it, it, it was, it was kind of like just what the doctor ordered. And that number two, that there are people who are proud of the country and aren't afraid to say so. It doesn't matter what, you know, what it need a backlash. I think it's just what the doctor ordered. That's what wonderful. we need. Mm-hmm. So inspiring. She said, what a great kid. And uh, her father, uh, Nigerian, I think, or Ghana. Ghana. Uh-huh. Uh, came to this country, a mother American by birth. Uh, they got married. He died early and he died. You know, this, in an auto accident on the way back from one of her wrestling meets. Wow. Yeah. I knew he died early. I didn't know for, on the way back from a wrestling. And he was on his way back. And she, as a result of that, wanted to give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she didn't persevere in it. Look what she's done. I, I, I just can't say enough. I, just mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even ab- above that and, and beyond what I said, I mean, just her personality, you know, bubbly, silly, happy, you know, you get this feeling she's like that all the all the time. Just happy, you know. And, Play and, that again. And, Play that again. Did you think you would ever win an Olympic gold medal? Yes. 100% yes. I knew I could do it. I knew it would be hard. I prayed that I could do it. In my wildest of dreams, I knew. It is not just that you won. You were dominant. I mean, you won these matches convincingly. Did you surprise yourself at all? I, of course I surprised myself. It's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm, I'm excited to see what what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it. And I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, <laughs> freaking love it there. Mm-hmm. By the grace of God, I pray. I love that little when he says, well, you beat them convincingly. She goes, sweet little girly sound. Mm-hmm. And she's girly. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'll offend somebody, but she's like a young girl and she's, mm-hmm. she's sweet and, and uh, uncorrupted and uh, effervescent. Uh, and who would not want a daughter like that? Absolutely. One of the things she said, someone interviewed her about being a role model. She said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like all the girls out there to know that they can do this. Uh, she talked about girls. She didn't talk about black. Didn't make it about skin. She made it about you know girls sure. can do this. Good for her. You know, didn't play the race card. Didn't go in there. So let's finish your commentary because I interrupted. Well, 
Yeah, no, it was it, it was just the brightness. It was the happiness, you know. And not yeah. only not not only did I think it was just what the doctor or, ordered for the country to have someone without any preference say, "I love this country," um, and I love being a citizen. I love living there. But to have someone happy about something, you know, I mean, whether you know, left, right, black, white, whatever, it's too much angry energy, you know. And so, you know, we can make progress and stuff with positive energy. And I just loved her positivity and her happiness. I don't know if what any, if it was what anyone else needed. It was it was definitely what I needed. You know, I'm just done with the negative energy. It's just too much. Speaking of negative, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Now let's go back to what we do. We got some emails. Oh, right. <laughs> I just wanted to read a couple. Um, okay. There's two angry ones. I'm a little disappointed that none of you brought up what I think is our greatest divide. There's no longer an equal application of the laws. Okay. We're talking about the uh, problems in America. Uh, I, I think we did bring it up. I didn't use those words, but talked about the fact that all these criminals are out on the street. That's a problem. If you worked in Minneapolis over the last year, you'd see our greatest divide. I want to talk to John Hinderocker about that. And then he talks about Donald Trump and his success. And another angry one, not so angry. But. So here are my comments on the Civil War show. I, I talked about the fact that we're in a cultural civil war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it's kind of red states and blue states. You can see it now. It's kind of Joe Biden versus uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott in Texas. Anyway, uh, we are not in a civil war, Bill. We have lost the war. And the left is just doing mop-up operations. The insurrection took place during the Trump presidency. They stole the election. Southern borders wide open. Rioters in January 6th have all been arrested. Delta variant is being used as an excuse for the left to maintain control. Lock us down again. Maybe we'll see about that. I don't know. We'll talk to John Hinderock about that. We did get one nice email. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is Crystal Based Solutions. This is from Colin, mm-hmm. who liked this about school choice. Thinks, you know, there should be this kind of choice and um, extend it to health care. You know, uh, why don't you extend the school choice principle to health care? Because I don't know anything about health care, but it seems to me very reasonable. Uh, I just, I'm focused on the schools and particularly this time of year, we're going back to school. But it's, it's a fair point. It's freedom, you know, and that's from Colin at Crystal Bay Solutions. The, um, uh, the unequal application of the laws was from our friend Daniel in Lindstrom, Minnesota. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, it's time to jump in with John Hinderocker. He's one of the founders of PowerLine. That's a great blog, great website. He's the president of the Center of the American Experiment. Look at John in his coat, his tie, and his white shirt. I uh, I try to set a good example for my staff, Bill, but they don't follow it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not following it either. I'm, I'm in North Carolina at the beach, but I'm working anyway. If I was Thanks. at the beach, I wouldn't have a tie on either. Tell us about the fair. You were at the fair yesterday or today or what? Well, Farm Fest. So Farm Fest is kind of it's kind of the, the Minnesota's trade show for agriculture. And it's a little bit like the state fair. I mean, it's it's a, it's in the middle of nowhere, really, in southwestern Minnesota. It takes place in this huge field and there are big tents set up and then smaller tents and there are exhibitors of various kinds, most of them businesses that serve the ag industries in one way or another. Thousands of, of farmers attend. The politicians will all go there and work the crowds. It, it's kind of like the state fair. And uh, my organization, Center of the American Experiment, had a booth there this year, and uh, it was really fun. We uh, we handed out um, 
uh, materials uh, that we, you know, short papers that we prepared especially for the for the event. One on the on repealing Minnesota's estate tax, and and the other on um, uh, bureaucratic overreach. They're they're trying to regulate um, animal herds from the perspective of global warming. So, Bill, this I, goes back. What? Yeah, well, this goes back to the Green New Deal and the idea that cows emit methane oh yeah the gas yeah 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 and so and so they're trying to institute a regulatory regime where where animal herds will be regulated based on the alleged impact on on global oh this is a plot by those minnesota people to make us eat that fish that you use the poison to what's that fish called Lutefisk, yeah. Lutefisk. It's a plot yeah. to get everybody to eat Lutefisk. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not eating Lutefisk anymore in Minnesota, Bill. Those days are gone. Now it's okay. walleye. And, you know, walleye, walleye pike, huh? Yeah. So, so, and then we had merchandise that we'd give away. Like, you know, when you eat corn on the cob, you, you stick the little holders in the side. Yeah, sure, yeah. And so we had, we had corn on the cob holders made. They're actually bigger than most of them. They're kind of industrial strength. Uh, holders and we put our logo on it with American Experiment, and we put those out. Man, they went like hotcakes. Got to get some. How do I get some? We eat a lot of corn in this house. Is that right? Yeah, well, we, we got to order some more. We only ordered five hundred, and they went like that. Claude, I mean, Claude put it in order. Charge it yeah. to the Center for the American. No, no, don't. No, uh, well, well actually, we we sure ordered some more. They were real popular, and then we had bags too. You know, a couple of people. See, that's the sort of thing everybody has, to, but they lose. Yeah. You know, you yeah, know, yeah, so right. You can always use that. That's good. Go ahead. <laughs> right. And so, you know, we love to attend events. And of course, our magazine, Thinking Minnesota, which you're familiar with, Bill, it's a terrific quarterly yeah. publication. We had a bunch of copies of the new issue uh, that just came out, the summer issue. We're giving them away. And we love to be at events like this because, Bill, if you think about, you know, who is it that we represent? Here in Minnesota, we represent miners, we represent farmers, we represent small business people, we represent yeah. average citizens uh, who get, keep getting hammered by the dumb policies that liberals yeah. implement yeah. in our state. And so we love to have a presence at events like Farm Fest. Great. Well, I was never at Farm Fest, but I was at uh, Minnesota State Fair. And I don't know if you were there, but some some of the power guide guys were there. It was many years ago. I was there. I you was were. there. You had the it was early the Patriot. Morning... We broadcast from the Patriot, right? Right. We the Patriot right. Radio. You had the early morning show on Salem at that time, of course, for a number of years. And I came out there. It was about six o'clock in the morning. It was about five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> my, yeah, my, we were, six we were there dark. before the cows and the roosters. That's for sure. <laughs> right. And like the four H kids were out there tending yeah. to the, you know, the, the cows and the sheep and all the, you know, the various animals. But, but even though it was so early, Bill, what I was impressed by was that there was a crowd there at the Patriot booth already there uh, to, to see your show. I mean, it was fun. I know. I know they were there to see me. I was there to get some corn dogs and, you know, some of that other stuff, which didn't open until about nine or 10. I said, this was a problem with having a six o'clock show. You know, you get up at four, around right. nine o'clock, you want lunch. Right. And right. not serving lunch, but it was a wonderful time. I love your state. I love your people. And 
Can you recall your governor? Can you do a Newsom on your governor? Short answer is realistically, no. Uh, the statute requires a ridiculous number of signatures on a petition, like 600,000. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. All right. All right. I want, I want to get into a lot of things with you, but uh, as time allows, but uh, email here from a, a guy named Daniel in Lindstrom. Do you know where Lindstrom is? Minnesota. <laughs> I've heard of it. I couldn't put it on the map. Okay. Uh, he said, um, you talked about a cultural divide, cultural civil war. Uh, there's no longer an equal application of our laws. Unaccountable riots lead to a very large divide in our largest metropolitan areas. Working in Minneapolis over the past year would demonstrate to you our greatest divide, the unequal application of the laws. Um, I was just curious if you had a comment about that from a Minnesota listener to our podcast. Well, he's got a point. I mean, the, the George Floyd rioters burned down about two miles worth of Lake Street, but that wasn't the end of it. So so what we're seeing in, in, in the Twin Cities, but especially in the city of Minneapolis, is a general atmosphere of lawlessness. And so, you know, major streets will just be closed down while while people are drag racing. There's a video that you may have seen, Bill, and it's not unique. This kind of thing has been going on a lot where at a significant intersection on Lake Street, which is one of the major streets in Minneapolis, and it's not two o'clock in the morning, it's maybe nine or 10 p.m. It's blocked off and there's this car that's just screeching around. They call them donuts or burnouts, just going around in circles. And there's somebody leaning out the window in the car, shooting a gun into the air. I mean, it's like yeah, Dodge City in 1885. I mean, I, you know, and there's no police officers in sight. People are just kind of walking around looking at this spectacle. And, you know, the homicide rate has doubled. Um, and, and What's the police situation? Because this was a defund the police city. What, what What's happened? Well, yeah. So, so. Um, you, you can look back and on like the second night or so of the George Floyd riots, uh, the mayor and maybe other authorities, but the mayor pr- primarily ordered the Minneapolis Police Department to abandon the third precinct station house to the rioters. So the police officers withdrew from their own station house. Rioters took it over, destroyed it, burned it down. And I think you can look back at that as the time when 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 the authorities really lost control over the city. And so we've had a lot of resignations from the police department, a lot of um, medical leaves. And it's obviously below strength. There's been a movement to defund the police department, but there's there's also been a movement to build it back up, you know, because people don't like the crime. The Upper Midwest Law Center, which is a group that I'm on the board of, and my organization supports, brought a lawsuit on behalf of seven or eight or nine residents of North Minneapolis, predominantly black part of, of the city, alleging that the city has violated the requirement in the city charter that it maintain a police department of a certain size as a percentage oh. of population. Oh. And they, they, they won that case. And a, and a Minneapolis uh, judge, a Hennepin County judge, has ordered the city to staff up its police force to comply with its own wow. city charter. So, so oh. in the meantime, so that, that order is in place. But in the meantime, the city council 
is advocating for a ballot proposition that's going to be on at the election in November to kind of abolish the police department and replace it with, I don't know, some public safety department or something. And the concept is it'll be more social workers. Really? That's crazy. I mean, it's not only crazy. It was crazy to begin with, but I thought places that are dumber from their leadership than Minneapolis had reversed and are now recruiting police, real police, places like Portland and Seattle. I may be wrong about that, but I think they're reversing course. Well, Bill, there is no city whose leadership is dumber than the leadership of Minneapolis. So they're, they're still in the defund state of mind. I think most of them are. I think there's one member of the city council that's tried to be a voice of sanity. You know, Jacob Fry, the boy mayor, um, I assume his political career was over, but it looks like he's only being challenged from the left in the upcoming election. And he's probably going to be the sanest candidate for mayor. No, no challenge from a right or a conservative or a moderate. It doesn't look like there's going to be a challenger from the center or from the or from the right. And, you know, Bill, over the last few years, people from all around the country have asked me many times when Ilhan Omar has done something outrageous. People have said to me, well, surely she's going to lose at the next election. Right. And I've said, well, no, you know, the things that she says and does that that most people consider to be outrageous are popular in her district and it's the same thing in the city of minneapolis these con these ideas defund the police replace them with social workers all this nonsense you know don't enforce the law when people are drag racing on the streets these ideas crazy though they are are popular with a good number of people i just assumed retreat in minneapolis from these ideas, as we saw in Portland, Seattle. Let me just mention this in New York. De Blasio, for God's sakes, is saying, you know, let's hire more police. And the guy who's going to win, I don't know how tough he's going to be. He was he was, he was a cop. He carries a gun. But he's at least a moderate, you know, and he's going to win. He's going to replace de Blasio. And he's talking a good game. My guess is he'll be moderate to okay, but he won't be a defunder. Well, and people, you're right. I don't know how good a mayor he'll turn out to be, Bill, but obviously the people who are voting for him are voting for public safety. You know, he's a symbol of, you know, let's let's enforce the the laws. But no such case in Minneapolis. Well, it's a little bit mixed, Bill. You may have seen the headlines probably, I don't know, six months ago now, something like that, where the city council, in response to rising violent crime, called the chief of police in, and they were berating him, wanting to know what's going on with the increasing crime. And the, and the chief of police is looking at him, and he's a liberal too, by the way, but he's looking at him like, well, you know, you guys are yeah. the ones talking about defunding the police and abandoning yeah. the, the third precinct and all this kind of stuff, and now you're asking me why we're having more violent crime? Duh. You know, and, and at that point, they were talking about increasing the budget, but I'm not sure it ever actually got implemented. And it's now amazing. the valid proposition is to, you know, kind of abolish the police department. So, well, and we're going to see the Justice Department. I noted Justice Department's uh, investigating Phoenix, I think, police department for racial, you know, bias or people overstepping. Apparently, the chief police said, welcome, come on in. But 
You know, that stuff takes a lot of time. Well, in Minneapolis, they're doing this. They're investigating the, the city of Minneapolis Police Department to see if they're sufficiently they're... left. See if they're sufficiently left. Yeah, what? no, right, exactly. And I'm sure what's going to happen is they'll they'll there'll be a consent decree. They'll say we think that Minneapolis needs to do X, Y, Z, and and nobody's going to oppose it. And so there'll be a consent decree requiring you know whatever some additional efforts to recruit minority officers, which, of course, they've been doing for many years and, and so forth. Last question, Minneapolis. People in the suburbs, other neighborhoods, they're going into the city? They're going into Minneapolis? Great question, Bill. You know, we've polled this. American Experiment has polled this, and the results are in the issue that is in the mail literally right now, the summer issue of Thinking Minnesota. There, the answer is there's a lot of people who who just no longer go into the city of Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you see that you walk around in the city. There's hardly anybody there. Um, Mall of the Americas is uh, smaller crowds. Well, I don't know about that. That's in Bloomington, of course, uh, just outside okay, different place. Highway, okay. Beltway. I don't. You know, I, I think I think crowds are smaller at, at the Mall of America just because crowds are smaller everywhere. The whole COVID. Yeah. Thing. And, yeah. You know, but 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 the thing about Minneapolis is, yeah, all of the cities shut down to a considerable degree for COVID. But now they're starting to come back. I mean, I was in Charleston, South Carolina in May, Bill. That's a happening place. You're in North Carolina. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, oh, it sure is. Charleston, and I'm sure, I'm sure North Carolina cities are, are similar. I mean, they're, they are back in business, bustling, yes, they are active. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You compare it to, I mean, Minneapolis is a dead zone compared to a place. Well, yeah, I want to, I want to do that national picture here in a second. Um, maybe we could, we should go to it right now. But it, it's kind of the energy of the people of North Carolina versus a real Democrat governor, liberal Roy Cooper, and a lot of state legislators, Democrats. You know, this is a purple state. South Carolina is a, a red state where you were. Uh, North Carolina is up for grabs. There's a lot of Yankees and um, like me, and uh, and we'll see. And what I was saying is just as I was asking for a gift, I want to see the results of that poll that you're doing about whether people are going downtown. Yeah. And you can send those with the corn holders. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll do that. All right. Would you do that? Make a note. So I make a note. We don't get those corn holders. We eat a lot of corn and I'm always looking for napkins. You'll like these too. These, these corn holders, cause they're big. They're kind of, they're big. And I'm big. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. John, I, I mentioned this uh, email from a listener in, in Minnesota. We had another one. And this guy, because we were talking, I said, is there a cultural civil war going on? And I concluded immediately there is. Let's hope it just stays cultural and doesn't turn to guns and shooting. Uh, I'll tell you, though, um, just by way of preface, uh, it's heating up. Um, here, here's what the, what the listener says. Bill, here's my comments on uh, your civil war uh, idea of a divide. Bill, we're not in a civil war. We've lost it already. And the left is doing mop-up operations. Uh, the insurrection took place during the Trump presidency. The left stole the election. Southern borders wide open, blah, 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 blah. On it goes. A lot of bad stuff, crime in the streets and so on. You don't have to deal with the question whether we won it or lost it. I don't think we've lost it. I don't think we've won it. I think it's going on. Do you think there's cultural civil war going on? And I, let me just say, in the last two days, you know, <laughs> I know American history pretty well. And... Uh, you know, the defiance of the South, you know, back then was was uh, was bad and wrong. 
this time I'm on their side. I'm on the side with Governor Abbott. I'm on the side with Governor DeSantis. What do we got going on here, John? Big thing. What do you think? Well, I I agree there's a cultural civil war going on. And I would point to one aspect of it. It's not the whole thing by any means, but it's on my mind because my organization has been fighting it so um, so vigorously. And that is critical race theory and how we educate our children. And here in Minnesota, it's going on across the country, but here in Minnesota, uh, our schools have been infected with critical race theory, which is basically, the, the bottom line is that it's an attempt to educate or indoctrinate our children to hate our country. That's, that's the whole point of, of getting CRT into the public schools. It is to teach our children that America is a bad, evil place and they should hate their own country. And and they stole a march on us. I mean, this is why people are saying there's a civil war and it's been lost. I mean, it's because the left got ahead of us when we weren't really paying attention. And and we wake up one day and we find that this nonsense is is in the public schools and it's getting worse here in Minnesota. One thing that's going on is that our left wing administration is undertaking to revise the standards for the teaching of social studies, which includes history in the Minnesota public schools, K through 12. And, and in December, they came out with the first draft of these proposed new standards. And it's, it's critical race theory plus a nice dose of LGBTQ. And so my organization swung into action. We, we put up a website. We, we got thousands of Minnesotans to send a nice, respectful letter to the committee outlining our objections to this, this, this first draft of the social studies standards. And basically, Bill, what they did is they took out all the history. They took out all the facts of sure. the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, sure. World War sure I, World War II, the Holocaust. Sure they did. And they replaced the facts with with a bunch of left-wing indoctrination. And so, you know, we're fighting a big battle here. And and so far, we're probably winning. The The legislature adopted uh, legislation at the in the special session at the end, like in June, prohibiting any implementation of new social studies standards for two years. So, so your legislature, Democrat led or Republican? Led? Well, it's split. I think we okay. have the only split, Republican Senate, Democrat House. Okay. And this is the one thing the Republican Senate really bargained for and got. Good. At the end of the session. And so and so we've at least bought ourselves two years. Now, in the meantime, they have belatedly because we've been on them so hard. I mean, it's a it's a pitch battle. Education Minnesota, which is the teachers union, they've weighed in. They're attacking my organization left and right. And they are openly advocating for critical race theory. They're saying we must have critical race theory in Minnesota's public schools. And so six months after it was originally scheduled, they came out with a second draft They've thrown in the towel on some of the things that we were criticizing. They, they, they've improved it in some ways, but it's still very bad, including they've added a whole curriculum in ethnic studies that's new now to the second draft. And so it's, it's a pitched battle. Uh, and, and we've just completed a 17-city tour of the state of Minnesota, exposing critical race theory in the schools, focused in part on these social studies standards, but not but going beyond that. Thousands of people turned out for these these meetings that we held. The left, yes, they did. 
Yeah, the leftists tried to shut us down. They would telephone the venues where our events were held, again, all over the state, threatening riots uh, if, if, they, if they went through and, and, and hosted the events. We had to change venues three or four times. We had to get uh, uniformed off-duty police officers to provide security because left-wing thugs would try to infiltrate our informational events. We're, we're hosting a school. We're holding a school for school board candidates at the end of this month. Good. Yeah, yeah because this battle is, is, is going to be fought or is being fought at, at the local level. It's totally grassroots, and it's all about controlling the school boards and keeping an eagle eye on what's really going on in the classrooms. Yeah. Well, I, let me comment on that uh, because I have given a warning to people. Good Lord. I mean, good for you guys. Are you going to write up anything on this? Is going to be a report on the, on your visits, your 17 sites? You know, uh, good question. I don't know if we're going to do a report okay. per se. We've written a lot about it on our website, AmericanExperiment.org. Okay, we'll check that out. We'll check that out. Um, I was just going to say, because you ended right, individual classrooms. I've said to people, you know, I know something about schools. I've been to 600 schools now. Counted them up the other day. Um, if you get rid of critical race theory, in theory, and all this other stuff, in theory, doesn't mean you've gotten rid of it in practice. Teacher in that classroom, you have no daggone idea what's going on in that classroom. Uh, and one of their next strategies, and they're being defeated. Uh, you know, I'm glad to hear the news you report. Everybody knows about Loudoun County, Virginia, you know, and they're voting those school board members out. But as we say, you've got to disaggregate the data here and you've got to get smaller. You've got to check the individual classroom. So parents, I'm sure you're doing this. You've got to tell parents, you've got to check what they're reading and what they're being told in the classroom. They'll say, all right, state mandate for CRT is gone, but here's the Howard Zinn book and here's some materials, teachers use it. And we're going to have some, you know, you're a lawyer, a great lawyer. We're going to have some lawsuits, you know, teachers teaching this, people sued. Teacher says academic freedom. And we're going to, we're going to have some real messes here. I'll end my comment because you're the guest, but where I come out on this is just, you know, I've always been for choice, you know, ever since I was secretary and now more than ever, um, West Virginia, you know about West Virginia? You take the money, it's in the child's backpack, you can take it anywhere you want. The wow. entire state appropriation per child, private school, Catholic school, religious school, home school, parental, parental community school. Hallelujah. We used to call that full moon choice, full moon, because we used to be used to be accused of banging at the moon for school <laughs> choice. But but good for them in West Virginia. I don't know another solution. And you go well, to a school where you, you have know, a sense of what the faculty's about, yeah, I mean, what the ethos of the school. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, my organization, as you know, Bill, uh, Mitch Perlstein, our founder, you know, spent his adult life campaigning for school choice. So yep, we've been there, there. for thirty years. And we've almost gotten it a couple times here in Minnesota. Um, and, and, and one of the silver linings of COVID, of course, is that the public schools were not serving their customers, the families. And so many, many families that had never really thought about alternatives to the public schools, all of a sudden they had to. Yeah, and they so, found out. Yeah, we're seeing a boom in homeschooling. We're seeing private schools with uh, with yep. waiting lists. We're seeing charter schools with bigger than ever enrollments. And that's all good. But but the fact is, Bill, that for the foreseeable future, most kids are going to be in the public schools. Public schools. That's right. School choice is great in urban areas where you really do have choices, Catholic schools in the cities and so on. 
But the reality is in small towns, you know, it, it, yeah, sure, you can homeschool and so on, but but there's not a lot of alternatives to the public schools. And so and so I think it's got to be a, 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 an all of the above approach. We got to have school choice. Yeah, it's all school. of the above. I agree. I agree. We want charter schools, absolutely. But at the same time, we cannot afford to have the majority of our kids attending schools that are left-wing indoctrination mills. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fault you guys at all. I'm just saying all fronts. Yeah. One of the good things about COVID, very few good things, but parents looked over their kid's shoulder and said, what the hell is that? And you're, that's exactly right. And your point, Bill, is, 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 is correct. I mean, it's, it, the parents got to be involved. One of the things that we're doing, we're developing an app. It's, it's going to be called our system. It's called Illuminat. It includes an app, a website, some other things. And there'll be some content like, you know, short explanations. What is critical race theory? What is equity as that word is used by the left? How, how do you, how do you run for the school board? How, you know, how do you attend school board meetings? But one of the things that this app is going to, is going to be good for is allowing parents, empowering student parents to self-organize on a school district by school district basis. So if you are in a given school district and your fifth grader comes home with some crazy thing about white privilege and the teachers, you know, one thing we have, this is an act, this isn't a rogue teacher. This is an actual project that's in the curriculum in the sixth grade in a prosperous mainstream Twin Cities suburb called White Bear Lake. Yeah. So the teacher divides the kids in the sixth grade class by skin color yeah. and explains to some of the kids, you are oppressors. And then it explains to other kids, you are victims. And then the teacher asks, well, Freddie, how do you feel about being an oppressor? Well, this kid's 12 years old, you know, yeah. he hasn't oppressed anybody. I mean, this is, this is madness. So my point is if it, if a kid comes home from fifth grade or something with a paper about white privilege or whatever it might be, um, the parent can, can go online, go onto this app and, and very easily identify other concerned parents in that school district and they can talk to each other, they can exchange information, and they can organize. They can say, look, we got a school board meeting coming up in two weeks. Let's all go. You know, stuff like that. Okay. Um, in King Lear, uh, he says, it's not the worst as long as you can say this is the worst. That's not the worst. I mean, the 12-year-old things is horrible. Let me give you another example. This is from D.C. I'm not picking on Minneapolis. I'm picking on my hometown. So Mrs. Bennett is out talking to nice Republican ladies were talking about this wonderful little school, I won't name it, for a preschool. And they go out, long story short, every day the teacher begins the day by lining up the children, three and four years old, and says, what do you want to be today, a boy or a girl? Every day, three and four. Uh, she talks, Miss Bennett talks to one of the moms who's a supporter of the school, we thought it was a conservative person in some ways. Anyway, she is. I voted for Bush, you know, didn't like Trump, you know, kind of Republican suburban lady, you know, you know, and there are four of them and they're at lunch. And this lady says, I was a nurse. I, yeah, I, I'm not crazy about it, but I, you know, it's the way, it's the way the world is now. And so we kind of have to accept it. There's a surrender of civilization in those words. And she says, and then, you know, I, of course I give these shots to these kids, these hormone shots for sex change. 
And Mrs. Spence said, how old is the youngest you've given Chess? She said, five years old. Five years old. Okay, that's, um, I don't want to story top you, John. You're the guest. You're brilliant. That's, that's worse. A, a five-year-old decides he, she wants to, what the hell are we talking about here? This is madness. Madness. Bill, I, I, well, number one, it's child abuse. Administering hormones to a five-year-old. Yes, sir. Child abuse. You know, a friend of mine told me a story, Bill, about a five or six-year-old kid, you know, who came home from elementary school and he was in tears. And his mother asked, what's wrong? What's the matter? And, and, and he was terrified that he might all of a sudden be changed into a girl. Hey, right. <laughs> You know, right. he, he, he had been subjected to this kind of bullshit. And, and his takeaway was, oh, my God, I might all of a sudden turn into a girl. And he was terrified as a normal little kid. I mean, Bill, I, I do not understand how there can be a human being on the face of the earth so stupid as to inflict this kind of thing on little children. OK, I just want to put a marker on it. This was not a child who was kidnapped by some crazy left-wing people and taken to a private laboratory in southwestern Minnesota or southwestern D.C. This was a wealthy suburb of Washington near Chevy Chase, where we live. And when Mrs. Bennett raised her objection about the hormones and the, what do you want to be today? The three other women didn't say anything. All Republican voters Bush women. That is the end of civilization. If there were some renegade kidnapping children and saying you're going to become, this is what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. When it becomes normal practice, when it becomes something, well, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. Or our friend Seth Leibson said indifference. That's what's killing us is the indifference. It's people, people accepting, accepting this. You know, a, a bunch of angry Minnesotans egged on by the Center for the American Experiment with pitches, uh, torches and pitchforks, as Pat Buchanan used to say. God, I wish there were more. Back to Governor's Abbott and DeSantis and the president. Did it strike you at all odd that the French were objecting to things that we were just accepting? Yeah. Well, you know, thank goodness. Um, they were yeah, objecting the to the, are, are the ID cards, right? They were objecting to the ID cards. Well, but I, I thought you were talking more broadly, Bill, about the fact that that uh, the, the French president, what's his name, Marcon, and a number of French academics have have openly talked about this leftist movement that's coming from academia in the United States and how we're not going to succumb to it in, in France. You know, we're not going to go along with this. The, the, the left wing yep. narrative coming out of American universities. And I'm thinking, wow, there's a, there's a turnaround. I mean, yeah, there used to be Foucault and guys like Foucault that. Oh, and deconstruction. Right. They gave us deconstructivism. Right, exactly. And now they're saying, oh my God, you Americans are crazy. Right. Well, I, I'm glad somebody is holding out. But, you know, one of the things I think going on here, Bill, I think there's a larger phenomenon. You, you ask, you know, why are these suburban women so passive? Part of it is this whole thing with experts. You know, we're, we're all being told, oh, you got to listen to the experts. And, you know, That's there right. are all these people that have got PhDs. And, well, hell, Bill, you got a PhD, right? You know, yeah. and, and there are all these people saying, oh, no, no, you know, uh, here are the experts that are telling us about white supremacy. Here are the experts that are telling us about gender fluidity. And here are the experts that are telling gender us. Gender fluidity. You know, 
30% of the population is really transsexuals or whatever, you know, and they're all wrong. I mean, they're all just blatantly, obviously, pathetically, maliciously wrong. And part of it is the death of common sense. You know, Bill, historically, all through human history, somebody would come along and he would assert a proposition. And the first thing that, that, that a person would do would be to check that proposition against his own experience and his own yeah. observation. And if it yeah. was BS, crazy proposition, most people would say, um, that's not what I've observed. Or, you know, that's not what my experience has been. You know, and so, and so, for example, I mean, there's this proposition that America is systemically racist and everywhere you look, you know, everything is racist and, and, and a big chunk of the population is being oppressed, blah, blah, blah. And, and if people look around at their own experience, that's right, their own experience, their own observation, that's right. that's you know, right. people would say, uh, no, I don't think so. That's not, that's not what I've seen, not what my life has, has been like. And for some reason, Bill, People seem like they've, a lot of people at least, seem like they've stopped doing that. You know, the the basic test of common sense seems like it's gone out the window. And I can't tell you why, but I mean, if some supposed expert comes along and says, yeah, you know, boy, girl, mm, can't tell the difference, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why, why, why don't 99.8% of the population look at him and say, you're nuts? <laughs> One of his essays, Tom Wolfe, the great uh, novelist with the white suit from Richmond, Virginia, walking around New York City, had an essay called, it's all in the title of the essay, The Great Relearning. He said, we have to relearn kind of everything. Two plus two equals four. Boys are boys, girls are girls. Uh, America's the greatest country in the world. We need to engage in a great relearning. It's a great phrase. Uh, it goes along with your common sense. I think there is this expertise thing. Now, isn't there a wedge here with common sense and the cult of expertise with the whole science of COVID? I mean, you get six people on, even on Fox, which I basically watch, and they're all saying different things. Uh, my surgeon, by the way, is a guy who operated on me, Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins. I'm sure you've seen him. He seems to me to be a beacon of common sense. You say, and then, you know, the masks really don't do much good anyway. And if you've had COVID and if you've been vaccinated, you know, you're not going to die. Other people say, I mean, are we, you see the point I'm making, six scientists, and they're, they're sounding like economists now. Well, Bill, I would, I would add, not only do the six experts disagree among themselves, but a lot of those experts disagree with what they were telling us with total confidence right. a year ago or six right. months ago. Right. Good for you. I mean, right. I think that's the spectacle that has undermined, appropriately undermined, a lot of people's confidence in CDC or the World Health Organization. You know, they, they can't keep their own story straight. Are we coming to another, um, will there be another push for shutdowns? I guess. I think so. I guess. I mean, I, 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 you know, Bill, I, for whatever reason, I have never been afraid of COVID. I wasn't a year and a half no. a year ago. I'm not today. I'm, it's a respiratory virus. I, I, I don't know. I, it's just not, people act like it's the black death or something. I mean, I've just never personally worried about it. I was one of the first to get vaccinated. I was eligible because of my age. They had, the place had plenty of appointments. My wife said, go get vaccinated. I did. My wife did you know, too. Did but, your wife make you do it? My wife made me do it. Yeah, well, I probably would have anyway. But, but sooner, sooner oh, or later. So, so, so to me, I've watched for the last 
going on a year and a half now in a state of disbelief. I couldn't believe the shutdowns. I couldn't believe the mask mandates. I couldn't believe yeah. even when they didn't have to, huge numbers of people and especially young people are walking around with masks over their faces that don't do a gall darn bit of good, you know? I mean, I, unbelievable. And so you asked the question, Bill, are, are we looking at more shutdowns and mask mandates? Yeah, I guess we are. I take it that this this Delta, it used to be the Indian variant, by the way, and then they figure out, oh, no, wait a minute, we kept saying China virus was racist. We can't call it the Indian variant. So right. they switched it. They switched it to Delta variant for that reason. Right. And it's milder than the original COVID. You know, viruses mutate. They always mutate. That's what yeah. they do. There's no surprise about this yeah. Yeah. whatsoever. And they tend to mutate to milder forms because the virus doesn't want to kill you. You know, it's bad for the virus if it kills you. The virus wants you to live. Yeah. And spread the disease, right? So it tends to mutate to milder forms. The Delta thing is a milder form. There's no reason to turn our lives inside out. But I take it that there are quite a lot of cases of people who have been vaccinated who nevertheless get the Delta variant. And, you know, I'm afraid we're going to see more shutdowns and more masks. I think schools, I think they're they're hitting at that. And, you know... They may not shut down the schools, but they require every little child to wear a mask, which demonstrably doesn't do much good. No. You, 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 got, you, you ever had a little boy, four years old, put a mask on, tell him to keep it on all day? I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a, Here again, it's child abuse. I feel yeah. so sorry for kids. You know, Bill, COVID did pose, here in Minnesota, the median age of the people who died with COVID on the death certificate, yeah. usually with other things that are far more responsible for their demise, but COVID on the death certificate, median age is 84. Life expectancy yeah. in this state is 79 to yeah. 80. So the picture is real clear. And and you know people in nursing homes, you know there there have been people who have been yeah. who have been killed by COVID, no doubt about it. But here's my point, Bill. You know I'm in the age range like you, where where statistically people would say I'm at risk. My position is that's my business. Okay, that's right. I can protect myself if I think I need to stay home. If I think I need to wear a mask or only go to places, you know, not go out in public because I think I need to protect myself. That's my business. But for me to say that because I'm at risk, they kids can't go to school, high school kids can't play sports. Five-year-olds got to wear masks. You know, small businesses have to be shut down, put out of business. I, would, I wouldn't dream of doing that, Bill. Yeah. I think what we have done, above all to our young people, is a crime. And the fact that we did it ostensibly to protect people like you and me, who are perfectly capable of protecting ourselves and taking the risks that we think it's worth it to take. And I can tell you, I didn't sit in my basement, you know, right. I, 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 I live my life completely normally, except to the extent that the, the restaurants and the bars were shut down. I couldn't go to them, you know, the stores, but, but, but that's, that's, that's our business. And, I think it's outrageous that we have devastated the lives of millions and millions of people, and especially young people, especially. Yeah. 
and we may be about to do it again. I'm looking at the clock, John, trying to be respectful of your time. You guys do so much. We love the Center of the America Experiment. You guys, wonderful work. Want everybody to check out the website. Last question. Cultural Civil War, who's going to win? Who wins? Right now, I would say it's a toss-up. I would say it's like uh, the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg. You know, this is a war that could go either way. So far, I would say it's not going well for our side. We're kind of like the North in the Civil War. So far, we're having a tough time winning any real battles. And, And right now, I think the wheel is in spin. And I think that you and I, Bill, and and other activists on the right, we just got to do everything we can to educate and inform and to mobilize, frankly, normal Americans. We're past the point, Bill, where it's left versus right, in my opinion. When you talk about the cultural civil war, you know, we're talking about crazy versus sane. And I I think we've got to mobilize normal people to understand the risk, understand the threat and, and act to preserve the country that we love. I talked, I asked Victor Davis Hanson. He said, Oh, there's no question. We will prevail in this, but there will be lots of scars and there'll be lots of ongoing enmity um, and loss of uh, comedy uh, between regions and parts of the country uh, but he said, but we will, we will prevail. See, American people always do, always have up to this point, but I'm not so sure either. And the part that chills me is not the crazies, but the fact that the people in the middle are listening to the crazies because of expertise or claim of science or whatever. My question back to Victor would be, are we still the American people? Yeah. And that's your point. You know, when you look yeah. at these people who passively accept this stuff, I don't have any doubt that if we were still the American people of 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, we'd win. We, that that American people would win. I'm just not sure we're still that people. All right, John, we'll see. I mean, um, look, um, doesn't matter which of us is right. Uh, I'm with Isaiah. Uh, all's wind and ashes in the end, you know, but uh, so, so I can be theoretically a pessimist, but operationally optimists get around to those 17 communities. Like you guys have done, go to the, the farm fair, work it, talk to people, do what you can to save the country. Cause that's what's, that's what it's about now. And uh, man, it's really, it's really something. And I you see it, you see it played out every day, not, not just in neighborhoods and schools, but on the national stage here, Abbott and DeSantis. And President Biden, but we shall see. John, we can't thank you enough. It's always good. You know, as Claude says, let's go to Indiragua. It's always great. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Bill. And, and thank you, Claude. I appreciate it. It's always fun, Bill. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.